This week's episode of War Talking Drums is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks, Canada's number one drumstick manufacturer. With 22 models to choose from, you can get the right size, weight, and feel for your playing. Los Cabos Drumsticks. Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Talking Drums. This is episode 38, I believe. That is correct. I am joined uh, currently right now by my good friend, Jared, who you can find on episode 15, I think. Episode 15. Episode something. I don't have it in front of me. It's either 14 or 15. One of the episodes uh, we... The one that has my name on it. Yeah, just look for the one with Jared on it, and uh, yeah, he's there. So, Jared, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Today was super productive. It was awesome. We're having a great time here uh, at Corey's home studio, working on two different records simultaneously. It's great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's currently like uh, almost midnight. Five to midnight. <laughs> On a long weekend, though, so it's not so bad. That's right, and we've been at it pretty much all day. So yeah, this this has been a lot of fun. So uh, this week, uh, I'm not talking to Jared, but uh, I did have a fantastic conversation with Adam Nimmo from Drummer to Drummer. And Jared, you are actually good friends with Adam, and you guys grew up together. You got any uh, fun? Fun stories or tales of uh, his past? Um, I I don't know about that. Um, if anyone was into the uh, into the indie scene during the mid two thousands, um, you would know him from uh, the Mostrian Republic. Um, he's an excellent drummer. He's also just an excellent, excellent dude. Um, one of the best moments of my life is when he couldn't make it to go see the Mars Volta, and I got his ticket when we were both working at, well, I was doing co-op at Lon McQuaid and he was working in the drum department. And that dude was a big influence on my playing, but also like he, he influenced a lot of what I was listening to at the time. Cause obviously I had guys like you getting me into heavy music, but Adam always had his ear to the ground, like good indie, good emo, good screamo. And like also um, was in charge of booking shows at the North Bramley United uh, church. So he also helped bring a lot of great music to the city of Brampton. And those were some uh, fantastic shows that went on there. I remember we had a lot of like uh, really great like death metal come through too, which was awesome. Well, his his brother is uh, Matt Nimmo, who became the vocalist of Starring Janet Lee. Well, there you go, Brampton legend Starring Janet Lee. There, super techy, super metal, super gnarly. That's right. So if you don't know Star Janet Lee, go check them out. But first, check out my conversation with Adam Nimmo. Love you, buddy. Adam Nimmo, welcome to the We're Talking Drums podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad that we, we found time to uh, get this done. Uh, 
and uh, to have some chats about drums, man. Now, I, I want to get right into it. Um, you are the host of the show Drummer to Drummer, where you do a very similar thing where you sit down with drummers and you talk about drums and kind of their roles within the band and and type of that that type of thing. So do you want to just give a rundown of uh, of the show and kind of how you got started with doing that? Yeah. Um, so uh, it kind of started um, in 2005 or 2004. Um, I used to book a, I used to book shows at North Bramley United Church, which is my family's church when I was growing up and there was a back room there and we put on shows there all the time for years. And, uh, Monine, local heroes, uh, were playing a show that I put on, um, December 22nd, 2004. And, uh, I knew all the Monine songs we we grew up together. So I was, I was a big fan, big supporter. And I knew Peter and I, Peter Kirpan, the drummer for Manin, I found our styles were very similar. So um, I basically just begged him, can we double drum a song together? And then we double drummed the song in the set. And then I just stayed on the kit. I, I didn't leave. And I knew all the songs and I was like, Kenny, just what do you want to play next? And we played the songs and we played this beautiful double drum set. Everything worked out perfectly. Um, we were just, it was like one of those magical moments. And from then I thought, man, double drumming is so much fun. So shortly after that, um, I was in a band called the most serene Republic and we were about to go on our first tour. And then from that moment on every tour that I would go on, I was just addicted to double drums. So whoever the drummer was on the other, on, you know, that we were supporting, I was always pushing to double drum with them. So I was lucky enough, you know, a bunch of times with broken social scene when we were on tour doing, you know, double drumming, uh, seven, four shorelines or almost crimes. And it was pretty fun. And then when I moved out to Nova Scotia, I just kind of had this idea. I was like, what, you know, there's a, the whole running joke was whenever I was touring, no one ever wanted to talk to me in the press because I was the drummer. And I thought, well, the drummers are really interesting. Drummers are weird. Drummers are funny. Drummers are charming. Drummers are quiet, but they have this weird thing to them. So I thought, you know what, wouldn't it be cool if I interviewed drummers, but then we just drum together at the same time. So I went through different little iterations of the idea and a friend of mine, Tara Thorne in Halifax, um, she bought into it and she was supportive of it and we just started it. So um found us found a few places to be able to do do shoots in Halifax and uh got really lucky right after we had started shooting um there was a big festival put on in Halifax by my friend Jeremy McNeil um and American Football who are like my favorite one of my favorite bands of all time uh played the festival and they had, were basically reuniting after like a decade or whatever it was um to come play these cult following songs that I've just been, I've been in love with for so long and rural Alberta advantage was playing the same festival. So um, we just threw a wing and a prayer, hail Mary email ask to say, Hey, you know, do you want to be a part of this? And they both said yes. And we played, I played their songs with them and it was in this really beautiful theater, the Spats theater in Halifax. And uh, the rest was kind of history. Like I had shot a few before then Um and it started with uh, Graham from uh, Yukon Blonde, Canada Day, 
2016 was the first shoot. And, uh, and it just seemed like one of those things, you know, the drumming community, as you know, is, is very, um, it's full of love. Everyone has a ton of respect for each other. So I found that when it was a drummer asking another drummer, they were more inclined to do it. And, and I had kept a network of people that I, you know, truly admire and love, uh, you know, and just would say, Hey, you're coming to town. Let's drum, you know, Tim Oxford from Arkells or Phil Maloney from Hey Rosetta. Um, you know, you, you have these relationships with these guys, Lil Campbell from winter sleep got a chance to drum weaker than songs with Jason Tate. Like, you know, when you're in this circle of people that know each other, and even if I don't know the drummer, we're, we're this six degrees of Kevin Bacon away from each other. Um, everything just kind of clicks when you're, when you're drumming with another drummer and you have respect for each other. It it just, it kind of just grew organically on its own. And, uh, you know, adult stuff happens every now and then and um i haven't been able to do as many shoots as i want covid didn't help but uh lots of plans for for filming in the future uh going to ontario to to film season four i'm hoping in the winter as long as people are allowed to travel safely with the new fourth wave um that's the plan but that's pretty much how it started it it was just a tiny little idea i had in a tim hortons parking lot one day when I was just hating my job and I just needed something to feel passionate about again. And, uh, that was it. And, and people bought into it. And, uh, I think, you know, as long as I can put the effort in that needs to be put in to keep it going. Um, it's just one of those things where, where, you know, it's not going to get, it's not going to go viral. It's not going to have, you know, 3 million views, but it's certainly, you know, if you're into this kind of stuff, I find it, I find people think it's entertaining, which is great. That's excellent, man. And it's it's so funny. Uh, there's a couple of points in there I want to touch on. But the, it's so funny that you bring up the whole six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon because that was something that I actually brought up on a recent episode with uh, Bryce Butler and just how how tight the drumming community is. And what we, what we were talking about was actually the metal community and how tight it was. But I find the drumming community is the same way. Like it's, I find it has a different vibe than like guitarists uh, or even vocalists or anything like, like the, the instrument itself. We, we all seem to click and, and vibe together in, in a very different way than I've noticed in uh, other instruments like drummers is like, we all seem to kind of be on a different, a separate uh, <laughs> playing plane of existence, so to speak. And uh, we, we all just like to bro down with each other. And I, same things happen when I've been on the road, like the drummers in the other bands and stuff like that. Like we we're always hanging out. You know, like yeah. it's it, the drummers hang together and it's like a, a secret club that maybe maybe other uh, musicians look at and be like, oh, there's a, the, the fucking drummers over there. But like <laughs> we look at it like, you know, no, we're the we're the fucking drummers. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know it's a, it's a different if it's a different world. And I thought, you know, I, I when I was trying to think of the concept for the show, I was like, OK, well, let's say someone starts a show where you're just and I'm, it already exists. So it's not starting the show. But like, what if someone what if two singers sung a song together with no music or what if guitarists played the same song together? It, it just didn't give me the same, you know, excitement that I would get if I was watching two drummers. 
drummers, you just you have to use your entire body. You know, like it's just a different way of playing. I'm not saying that one's more talented than the other. It's just I'd much rather watch legs and arms flail than, you know, like two hands playing a guitar. And I just thought that's what separates it because drums is just different. And and everybody loves watching drums, whether you're a drummer or whether you're like not a drummer. It's entertaining to watch someone play the drums. So I, I agree. Everyone just kind of has that little inner circle respect for each other. And, and, and no matter which band I was on the road with, um, it was the drummers that I that I um, got to know genuinely the most. Yeah. And, and I like how you say like, Oh, you're, you're flailing around and everything, but like you are putting physical energy into an instrument to, to make it musical. So you are, you're actually taking the energy from your body and putting it out into musical form for other people to hear. And I, I think that that really responds with everybody rather than just like touching on some strings or something. There's feel in guitar, obviously, and, and you can convey emotion and everything like that. And clearly with, with the voice as well. But I think that the power of drumming is just, at least for me, uh, and what I've noticed is, uh, is more powerful than, than a lot of other instruments, uh, in, a grabbing your attention and and keeping it holding it there as well so well and i and i also think like you know dr- i don't know maybe it's more for the drummers than the the you know casual music fan but wouldn't it be crazy to be able to and it goes goes to your point about you know bringing melody essentially out of you know wooden cylinders um there's this thing where like if i were to play an entire song front to back with another drummer note for note most like a lot of people certainly in the drumming community would be like i know what song that is and there was not a single actual uh guitar note vocal bass line piano whatever not a single note was made and you would know just because of how memorable the drum beat was what song they were playing it's just you know, it's it's not the hook that you're hearing. You know, you know, you you're, you're not listening to the oh, that's the guitar solo from song X, or that's the that's the big you know sing along chorus from that song. It's just the drumming part. But there are people who are like, oh yeah, I know what that song is just by listening to the drums. I think that's so cool, and I think that also uh, symbolizes what what a good what a good drum beat can do for someone too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like a, a drum beat makes or breaks a song. And I, I like it because I, I can definitely like pick up on things when I hear just drum performances. Uh, like some guys will like put up um, like a, a drum cover, but then put up drums only so you can hear exactly what they're playing. And if you just close your eyes, you don't know what song it is or anything, listen to it and you can just hear all the little accents and everything. And then mentally you can just fill in like all the guitar parts and the vocals and everything like that. If you know the song, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of cool how you can do that. Uh, I've, I, you can kind of do that with, with the guitar and stuff like that as well. But I find like, drums there's no melody or anything there right yeah necessarily right so it's yeah it's it's kind of cool in that way it's just the accents 
that you do and and the feel of the player can kind of um bring the the whole song out for you yeah 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 i agree and i and you know you can watch a song be played live a hundred different times and you'll catch an, an intricacy that you didn't catch before um every time that you see it right like there's all mm-hmm. these little things and then when you can strip away all the music like you're saying and here just listen to the drums you really how can you not love and respect what drummers are capable of doing oh yeah hundred percent man and like i i was listening to an album the other day no all right i've been listening to this album for a month straight i can't get enough yeah. of it and uh i i after about two weeks of listening to this record i just I, I sat down and thought, I was like, why do I love this album so much? Like if I'm, if I wake up in the morning and I'm like, ah, I just want to put something on while I'm doing my morning routine and everything. I, I keep reaching for the same record every single time. And then I realized is like the whole album is really dictated by the drums and it's one album by a specific band. The other albums don't hit, hit me the same way this one album and i i went through uh each song and kind of listened to it and listened to the way the drums were written and it was just like it blew my mind i was like this this is why this album grabs me so much is because the the drums really dictate the emotional flow of this record and like each song specifically and yeah. it's it's really cool because you don't think of drums as an emotional uh, instrument, but they can really, really dictate how a part feels, right? Which feeling is emotions. And, you know, so it, it it was really cool to me to have that kind of realization of like, oh, fuck, I love this album because because of the drums. Like everything else works so well together. But at the end of the day, I was like, if these drums weren't written the way they're written, there's no way I would like this album this much. No way. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. I I find it funny too about how when you're looking at starting the Drummer to Drummer series on, uh, you you loved playing double drums with other other drummers right and so you're like uh fuck it i'm just going to make a series and (laughs) that that'll be my end so i can play with all these guys like you like this is what i love to do so i'm just going to i'm just gonna make make something that allows me to do it and I i love that mentality of of going about things on like, I, I love to do this. So fuck it. I'm just going to make something based around that. And we're going to go from there, man. I love it. And it's a super cool series. Um, I do love that location on the, on the stage in the auditorium there. It looks, looks fantastic in there, man. That um, that's at Halifax Citadel high. And that's where they film that show on, uh, on CBC, Mr. D that's where they, like they film in the summer times, I believe at Citadel high. And, and we just made a great relationship. Well, it's not me, it's Tara who, who had an in there and they said, yep, we'll do whatever you want. It's yours. And like, and we could do that tomorrow. I could say, Hey, do you mind if we use your stage? And they'd be like, yep, sure. Like we filmed promo stuff there. We filmed a bunch of shoots there and uh and they're just the most welcoming like we got very lucky with that place because as as you can see just when the lights are down but there's those tiny little lights that just look like stars in the sky it just 
it really is a beautiful spot. Oh, definitely. hundred percent, man. All right. Let's, uh, let's turn gears and talk about some of your touring days, man. I know it's, it's going back a little bit. Uh, you said that you, you were, um, in the most serene Republic from 2003 to 2007, and you've done extensive touring in North America and Europe. So is there any, uh, tour that stands out as the most memorable, uh, or like, like a, a huge accomplishment in, in your career from those days that, uh, really sticks out in your head? Yeah, there was, um, I mean, every tour had its moments. Um, I was always like when we first started, um, once we got the record deal with, with arts and crafts and we started touring a lot, um, by the end of it, I think we did over 200 shows in a year, probably in Oh five, which, you know, little kid Adam would have absolutely loved. But by the time that was done, I was just kind of tired. And, uh, and we were doing a, a North American tour that was kind of revolving around Austin, Texas for, for South by Southwest. And, I remember being in Austin and telling the kind of the leader of our band that I, I think I needed some time um, to breathe. So he said, okay, sure. Do, do what you need to do. And we, uh, we drove home after South by and we had a couple shows. Um, I was like an Ontario Quebec thing. No, I, I think we had like one show. And then I was flying down to Philadelphia to, to be with my girlfriend now wife um, she was, uh, graduating from, uh, Bryn Mawr, which is Princeton's sister school. So it was a big deal. Um, her whole family was going down and, you know, we had been doing long distance for almost a year. Um, and I got down there probably a week before the graduation and I got a call, um, you know, for who was the first call from, from Rob Zaffarelli, our, our agent. And he said, Hey, uh, what, when are you busy again? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm in Philadelphia for a couple of weeks and, He's like, oh, because we just got uh, offered the Strokes tour. And I just laughed because I just thought that was crazy. I said, yeah, sorry, man. I'm, I'm, I'm in Philadelphia for my girlfriend's graduation. And I said no to a tour with the Strokes. And he got off the phone and he must have called um, the, the head of arts and crafts, Jeffrey. And Jeffrey called me back about five minutes later. And he's like, so I heard you told Ziff that uh, you're not doing the tour. I said, yeah, I, I mean, I told you guys I, I'm in Philadelphia. He's like, well, Adam, you're doing the tour. So it's like this big feeling of like, I, I was halfway out the door. And the fact I knew that I was, it was time for me to go when I was saying no to that. Um, but I, I flew home. Um, I got, so we had a new bass player at the time. Uh, I had never played with him ever. So I flew home the day before the first show of the tour got in my car from the airport, went to Milton and jammed with the bass player for the very first time. And then the next day we were playing the Rico Coliseum in front of 6,700 people. Um, so he, luckily Simon was an incredible bass player. He picked everything up really fast, but um, I went from not doing anything to like 36 hours later playing in front of all these people. And the way that this tour went is we were direct support for the Strokes and uh, the lights would go down. I'd never done an arena tour before, so I thought it was just the coolest thing. It was arena slash theater tour. And um, the lights would go down. Everyone would scream. It didn't matter who the band was. They were just excited to be hearing music. And the way that this tour went, I was the first person to go up on stage. So, you know, that was a pretty surreal experience. 
you know, it kind of took my head out of not wanting to be in the band and got to do this really cool thing every night. So the lights would go down, everyone would cheer. Then all of a sudden I get to the stage and the spotlight would come on me and it would follow me over to my kit. And then I'd have some beers in my hand. So I'd, I'd raise them to the sky and people would cheer because I was cheers in the audience. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and we did Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. And, uh, and then once I was done that tour, I flew home because my wife was, uh, then girlfriend was coming to move in with me. So it was like this crazy transition in my life, but like, what a way to go. Cause then right after that strokes tour, we had like an Ontario Quebec thing, um, probably like 10 shows or something like that. And the very last show I ever had was, uh, in Ottawa at, uh, Zaphod's and, um, we were headlining that one and the song ended. And I think everyone just kind of knew that I was leaving. This was going to be my last show just cause I wasn't, I wasn't ready to do it anymore. So, um, I don't know if you've ever played Zaphods, but there's like a kind of like an air handling unit above the drummer and um, the song ended and I just kept playing. So the band left the stage and I just did a solo for like five minutes because I just wasn't ready to leave. And uh, it was like that moment where I was like, oh, shit, it's over. And then and then battling after that, battling the idea of like, am I even going to be relevant anymore? What am I going to do with my life? This is what I put my blood, sweat and tears into for so long. And I had a chance to, you know, be really, you know, do something with it. And that was going away. And that was like crashing on top of me. And I just I kind of held on as long and held on as long as I could uh, in that solo in that air handling unit. I like brought the air handling unit into my solo. So I was like using it like a hi hat. And then, you know, just like getting really showy. And I just remember looking at the band on the side of the stage and you know, as much as they were enjoying it and had big smiles on their faces, but they also had like a seriousness to them because I think we were all realizing that it was the end of the chapter, a hot chapter, like right yeah. then and there. And, and, uh, it was emotional, but I was ready. And, you know, the next many years were really tough in terms of trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do because drumming was everything to me. Um, but you know, the original question is, you know, some memorable experience on the road, I think the biggest thing I ever did was the strokes tour, but there were, you know, the moments that I kind of hold dearest are, you know, mucking it up in a, in a, you know, seven people in a van driving in the Midwest just to get to the next show that was probably going to have a hundred people there if we're lucky and just getting enough money to pay for gas. You know, when you're, when you're that slumming it in the van lifestyle, you almost enjoy that more than when it felt a little bit like a job where you had a team behind you of agents and label people and marketing people. Um, it made it more serious and kind of it, it, that was hard for me. So when you were doing those like little, you know, sleep in a van tours, though, I almost think of those as fondly as I do playing the, the arenas um, just because that th those are real moments where, you know, you got to be doing it because you love it. And, uh, you know, I, I listened to, or I watched, uh, death cab for cutie has a, has a DVD. I guess people don't watch DVDs anymore, but at the time we could watch DVDs and, uh, it was the, it was like a tour doc documentary, um, like right before they got huge and, um, it was called drive well, sleep carefully. And it was cool because we were doing these tours and really, 
paying our dues and we were playing the same venues as they were playing in the documentary. And, uh, it just really like that documentary kept me going in the band for those last few months because they made it look so, um, romantic and, um, possible. And, you know, you felt like you were doing something important. Um, so that really helped, but, uh, you know, it's those little, it's those little things, you know, gas stops and just outside of St. Louis, like those little moments are, are kind of what you sign up for when you're a kid and you want to do this for, for a living, you know? Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, some of those first tours, uh, driving across Canada because we couldn't afford, uh, work visas to head to the States. And I think we did three cross Canada tours all the way out west and back and you're only playing about maybe eight shows if you're lucky uh (laughs) and it's and it takes about well over two weeks about two and a half weeks uh if if you're lucky if you can book it properly but it's play a show driving day play a show driving day so you have tons of time in the van to make some pretty incredible memories with uh, with some of your best friends. So, oh yeah, you know, and that that's a part of it too, man. Like they, you end up being so close to these people. Like you, you have to be good friends in the beginning to, in, in order to make it anywhere. Cause if you're not yeah. like super tight with your band members and you start getting on each other's nerves way too quickly, you're never going to make it to that, that next stage of, uh, of your career. So, yeah. And, and I was, you know, the people in the band, when I was in the band, lovely people, like some of my, you know, best friends, whether, whether, you know, things happen or not, but what I, I didn't realize at the time, but our sound guy, Ryan Mills, our, uh, our tour manager, Brad Dingle, and our bass player at the time, Andrew MacArthur, were just naturally the people I grew the closest with. I don't know why, um, but just everyone else in the band was a little bit younger. Maybe we were the older guys. I don't know what it was. But then what happened is um, a tour, like we had to go to Europe. And then in Europe, we didn't have the money to pay for a tour manager or for um, a sound guy. So we'd use the house guy or we'd use the the headlining band's sound person or whatever. And they would hire us a, a local tour manager, you know, somewhere in Germany or something. And uh, and then my bass player, Andrew, he left. So there was Simon, who was the new bass player. And I didn't have time to get to know Simon as well. So when I lost my three kind of foundational people in the band, I, I was kind of floundering on my own. And, and I think that probably didn't help me. I was, I was a pretty emotional guy. I still am. Um, and I'd ride waves of emotions and, you know, there was, I was very silly sometimes and took things way too serious. And I feel like sometimes if I got to, if I got the chance to do it all over again, I'd probably do a lot of things differently. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the, the friendships I built and how I built friendships and, and, uh, you know, I mean, but that's just growing up, right? Like we were thrown, I was, I, I'm, I was the oldest one in the band and I was 23 when we signed a deal, you know, and, and it was an indie label, but like arts and crafts meant something to, to the world at the time. So, I mean, it was, it was tough. We, we got put into the ringer quickly. 
like one of my favorite bands ever is the Get Up Kids. And uh, right when we right when we signed, we signed in March, and then in June I got a call from Zeffirelli saying, "Hey, you're opening for the Get Up Kids at the Cool House." I was like, "What the fuck? Are you serious?" And then like two days later. I was opening up for the Get Up Kids at the Cool House, meeting my heroes and like doing the worm on stage to, during their Close to Me by the Cure cover. And like then Robbie Pope, the bass player from the Get Up Kids, we stayed friends for years after that. And like right after that, we went on a tour with stars in the Midwest and ended at the Bowery, Bowery Ballroom in New York City and opened for Feist and then drove straight to Toronto Island and got to open for Modest Mouse, who was my other favorite band. And I got to play the I got to play the tambourine on stage with Modest Mouse. Like it was a crazy, crazy small blip of time in my life. Um, I have really cool stories. Um, I made really cool friends. I got to do really neat stuff. Um, but maybe it was just my time to. Maybe that's what I was meant to do. Maybe I was meant to do that and then figure out a legacy with drummer to drummer. You know, like it's it's a lot of shit to figure out when you're 23 years old. Um, I, I felt like I was old at the time and I very much wasn't. It's funny looking back on it. Like I, I'm 33 now and just thinking 10 years ago, what, what I was like, and that, that was around the time where, where, uh, my band started touring and I started, you know, like doing more of the, the putting more of a focus on, on, on getting the band to where I wanted it. Right. Um, so I totally understand that, uh, that aspect of things of, you know, we, we feel old, but that's during that time, I think during your like early to mid twenties, you definitely feel old because you still have some of the mindset left from your teenage years, but you, you've grown, within that but once you get into your 30s and stuff you can actually look back and and think about your decisions and how you went about it and you're like okay no like i've actually (laughs) grown a lot some of us don't grow up very much you know but uh (laughs) you know that that's a really cool cool uh way to to look back on things and man that that sounds like quite the the crazy time like even having two days and then like oh yeah you're opening up for a band at the cool house like holy shit <laughs> like that yeah that's incredible man two days notice that's that's nuts yeah it was it was wild and uh you know it, it was just really cool to play cities and play venues that i always you know, wanted to play. And, and I knew from a young age that I wanted to perform. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I loved drumming. I I started late. I started at 14 years old, really. Um, but I just, you know, I took lessons for two years and then I just wanted to make my own sound. So I stopped lessons and it's probably a bad idea, but, um, I just made my own sound and I, you know, I've tried to mix in, you know, street punk kind of four to the floor, fast with you know melodic weird time signature indie rock and i've i've tried to me- i tried to mesh the two so there was a there was a time where i felt like i was on top of my game and and i got to play music every day of my life and it was it was really cool and and because of that you know it's pretty crazy to to think like after all these years like this type of industry forgets you very fast And, and I just figured out a way to just always keep 
the bug in people's ears that I was alive. And, and I'm, it's not a, a thing that I try and put a lot of effort into. Um, I, I love my life out in Nova Scotia, but um, there's these network of people that I just, I'm not ready to lose. So because of what I did in 2005, I'm able to do 16 years later, um, you know, just as a, a 40 year old dad. And, and I hope it's not the end of collaborating with other musicians because that part I do really love. I loved being able to, to write a song with a guitarist or, or whatever. But if, if, if my life is going to be drumming with another drummer forever, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. That just having that connection, um, drummer to drummer. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that, uh, that that's something special in itself. Uh, and I know me and, uh, my co-host Derek have actually, I had him over pre COVID days, but I had him up to, to my studio and we set up two drums and we're just jamming it out. And it's, it's a totally different feel. And like, we played for like probably like four or five hours, like just like, playing off each other and like he'll go into a cool groove and I'll like add in some fills and stuff like it's 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 a really cool thing to be able to do and you know other like guitar players do it and stuff like that just jamming away and stuff but it's really it's it's a lot of fun to get two drummers into uh into a space together and just having at it man so yeah yeah and then that reminds me of when uh like when we did that strokes tour, the strokes just were on a different playing field than, than anybody really that I'd toured with. So they had, um, they had a music room so that you could go and jam while you weren't playing just to get loose and stuff. And they had two drum kits in there and Fabrizio, the drummer for the strokes who we had been getting along, uh, early on in the tour, uh, it goes back to our point. The drummers are just, you immediately become best friends with the drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, so he just said to me, he's like, Hey, you know, I'm working on some stuff for the new record. Uh, would you mind coming and, and, you know, playing something through with me? And then all of a sudden I'm playing drums with Fabrizio and it was like, what is happening right now? And uh, he just wanted to work on a beat. And so I just kept a beat for him so he could work on other stuff. I think he was bringing double pedal into something or if I recall. So, um, it was just like, you know, you watch these guys on David Letterman and then all of a sudden you're sharing a drum kit with them. You know, it was, it was pretty surreal. Yeah. I, I had a almost similar, um, thing to that when I was touring Europe with the band Ailstorm, um, their drummer about three days in, um, had an extreme, like, uh, muscle inflammation in his one of his forearms and literally like he he couldn't play another show he couldn't play another set so uh i think we i want to say we were in either poland or france or something like that and i remember walking in while they're doing sound check and they're like hey do do you know any of our songs and i was like yeah i i know a couple uh, and it's like, all right, um, well, do you think you could play this, 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 and this? And I was like, yeah, probably. He's like, all right, well, get up. Let's jam it right now. I'm like, um, <laughs> uh, uh, okay. 
Uh, so I we jammed it and I was like, yeah, good enough. And then I I sat down with their drummer and like just went over a couple of the parts and and then um then I was up on stage and I played. I ended the set, so I did the last two songs with them, and then I ended the encore as well. So I did the last two songs of the set, and then the last two songs of the encore. So four songs with them, and then they had their um, their drum tech do the rest. But like, I just like was immediately thrown into it, and I think I did three or four shows for them uh, to let uh, Pete's arm heal. Uh, then he was good to go for the rest of the tour. But then, like, it was just like a moment in time, and I was like, wait. Like that, that band was a, I, I don't want to say a massive influence, but like, I, I've loved that band for a long time. And as much as they are, you know, like kind of friends at that point and, and tour mates and everything, it was like, it was crazy to get up on stage and like most of these shows were sold out and like crowds going absolutely insane and me to get up on stage and play these songs that I've never played before with these guys. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it was yeah, just amazing, you know, and it just went by. And then I look back on it, I was like, ah, that was actually pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I got a call, like going back to Monin, I got a call probably, I want to say like three years ago now. Um, and they're like, Hey, what are you doing uh, this weekend? I was like, well, I'm in Nova Scotia, so I'm probably going to be in Nova Scotia. They're like, Oh, would you fly to Edmonton on Friday? And I was like, why? Well, I was like, going to well, mow the lawn, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll fly to Edmonton on yeah. 36 hour notice. So yeah. they flew me to Edmonton. Uh, I met the band. I arrived in, uh, I arrived around 10 o'clock at night, drove, hopped in a cab, head to um, a show that Alexis on fire is playing, watch them side stage. Cause Kenny's doing their guitar tech work and then we hop into a cab after the show's done and we go to um the ceo of a cannabis company his house he's hosting a private party for all of his friends and he paid monin to go and play in his living room but peter couldn't go but i knew all the songs so i'm on the plane and i'm learning i'm learning the set list but like similar to your story you know you listen to them for so long it kind of just comes naturally to you i didn't even play the drums on, like these songs on actual drums. I just air drummed everything until I was in the living room playing the song with them in sound check. And we like, we pulled it off. I did nine songs with them and it was the weirdest 48 hours of my entire life because then I woke up the next day, you know, we played it. We were up till six in the morning. I hadn't done that in so long. And we like sleep till 10 and then we get a flight at noon or one and then I'm back home to my normal life again. And it was like, I was gone Friday. I was back Saturday and uh, you just go fill in because you just know what to do. And then you fly home and back to normal. It was, it was crazy. That's a, that's absolutely insane, man. Yeah. Just like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're home one second, like trying to figure out what, uh, you and the wife are going to cook for dinner. Then the next second you're playing some CEO's living room and party until 6 a.m. And then, then you're, you're back home, you know, yeah, taking your dog yeah, out don't. for a shit. You know? <laughs> like, exactly. Don't blink, man. It can, don't. It, can, it can go fast. No, man. Yeah. Be, be in that moment when those moments happen. You yeah. Know? You can't say no to things like that. No, absolutely not, man. Uh, there, yeah. there's one thing I wanted to touch on that you, you said, uh, previously, and that was, uh, relating to 
when you decided to leave uh, the most serene Republic that you, you decided that your, your time was had come to an end with them and how hard that was. Cause that's really, it becomes a part of your identity, right? And how yeah. you identify yourself as a person, as a touring drummer, right? So as soon as that is taken away and you realize like, I don't want to be a touring drummer anymore. And especially at that time, you know, having a home studio and stuff wasn't really a, a big possibility. Uh, something that you could be like, oh, no, I'm just going to do session work now or anything like it takes a lot to get to the point to do that but like just realizing like no i kind of just want to have you know my wife your kid you know and, and live that life and it, it takes a lot to be able to make that decision for yourself because a lot of people hold on to it and hold on to it until it like eats them up inside and having that realization and being able to to recognize that and step away from that is, you know, it, it, it takes a lot, man. So I, I commend you for that. Well, thank you. It was, and I didn't realize I was making the decision when I made it. Mm -hmm. I just always thought there was going to be another thing to go and do another tour. I was going to ask to be, be asked to join another band or, and those opportunities happened, but anytime I was asked to go and do something, I always felt like I would much like, wouldn't it be just great to have a nap right now? And I just felt like I was tired. But then when I'm on stage and I'm doing it, it's like the effort to get there is really painful. And that's when I usually talk myself out of it. But then when I'm there, it's like, this is the greatest moment of my life. I just have so much fun. And it's like, okay, how do you balance that? How do you balance being able to still go and do those really fun things, but put yourself in a position where people will still ask you to do those things. I remember like I was at Kenny's house one day, Kenny Bridges, and it was right after I left Most Serene and I was so done with touring, but I was so done with touring with the world that I was in. Wasn't, mm -hmm. I don't think I was done with touring and we, my wife and I didn't have, you know, we weren't even married yet. We didn't have a kid or anything like that. So now was my time to do it. And I remember Kenny saying something to me, like they were in between drummers at the time. And he's like, so would you ever tour again? And my immediate reaction, because I was so jaded and done, I was like, fuck no. I was like, what were you doing? Because I thought at the time that was his message to me. Well, why don't you come drum for Monine? And there, and that was at the time where Monine was like at a great level, you know, like yeah. I, I would have the chance to tour Australia, Japan, North America, Europe, what, you name it. I was going there. And, uh, and because I, I was so stuck mentally. Um, I was very black and white, right? Like I was touring can only be with this band with most serene. And then when that thing goes away, I just need to retire. But that like, come on, man, that was so, so silly because I think I still had it in me at the time. Um, I hadn't lost a step yet on what I'm, when I was playing, I still had the energy. I was still young and hungry, but I just was jaded. And, and I, that's a big thing I regret because I should have pushed that. I should have, I should have said, yeah, you absolutely need me to be your drummer and, and then see what happens because, you know, I, they're my, like three of my best friends. I love those guys so much. I feel like touring would have been different than what I like that whirlwind I was in for a year and a half, two years. Um, it would have been different, 
I think. I don't know. Well, dude, I I agree. Like it, it would have been different, and that was that's something that you can't. You can go back and think about, but who knows if if that opportunity would have truly came like fully to fruition, right? Yeah, like you, you don't you don't know because you you kind of you didn't take the possible opportunity when it was there, right? You, there's only one path that we get. So uh, there there are regrets and and everything um but at the same time man um seems like you're super happy doing what you're doing and and drummer to drummer is a a killer web series and who knows if that ever would have gotten started had you taken those opportunities right so it's true it's so true yeah you can't you can't look in the rear view for your whole life it's for, that's for sure no 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 that that just slows you down man and <laughs> From the sounds of it, you uh, you have many many stories to tell. So you know, <laughs> that yeah, you you can't can't be disappointed with that, man. But uh, also at the the same time, it's good for other drummers out there to to recognize that that jaded mindset can hinder a a lot of what your future may hold. So taking that and and kind of realizing like try to always have uh have a positive mindset and and when you're talking to guys like in your situation like talking to um guys in Monin and stuff like be be open to the possibility of uh something happening and who knows it it, it may have just been other opportunities that you wouldn't even have thought of and that weren't just playing drums for them right sometimes yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it, it's the little things not uh the the direct path right but yeah. yeah that's uh that's very uh interesting and i think that is a great place to to end this conversation so i want to thank you for coming on uh and and talking to talking with me and sharing your stories with our audience uh this has been pretty inspiring actually <laughs> Oh man. Well, no, I'm just happy to, to be involved. I, I really appreciate you, um, caring. No, I appreciate the invite. Oh, absolutely. And to everybody out there, go check out drummer to drummer on YouTube. You can find all their episodes there and they are also on Twitter, uh, and Facebook. If I yeah, and it's Instagram and- as well. Yeah. And Instagram, check the show notes. Links to all of that will be down there. So once again, Adam, thank you very much for coming on. It's been great talking with you. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're feeling especially kind, we would love it if you would share this with a friend or two. If you have any comments, questions, or even suggestions for future shows, please let us know. You can fire us a message, and we'll do our best to get back to you. Catch you next time.